we are on a series of purposeful fruitfulness. This is session four. The title of today's session is The Soldier and Civilian Affairs. The Soldier and Civilian Affairs. Sessions three and session four starts the discourse of Paul talking to his protege Timothy about certain kinds of people that he wanted to compare to Christians in ministry. So he first talked about soldiers, then he talked about athletes, and then he talked about farmers in that Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 uh, narrative. First, he told him to be a person that depends on grace, that that is important. And then he told him to live an impactful lifestyle by committing to faithful men the things that he's teaching him. And then he started to talk about anyone who is a soldier must be somebody who endures. That was session three, which we looked at last week. So since last week, I have been dressed up like a soldier because I want to reinforce the point for myself. And uh, don't worry, next week, I will not be appearing like a boxer or anything like that so that you don't think that uh, this thing is going to continue like that. But I just feel that uh, this message on being a soldier is one that is lightly, is, is highly underplayed in the body of Christ. And the more I looked into it, especially for this series the more I discovered that Christians have trivialized this very important truth that Paul said to Timothy about a soldier knowing how to endure and a soldier not, not um, getting himself entangled with civilian affairs or the affairs of this world. Many times I've preached that message, particularly the one we are doing today, looking at not entangling yourself with the affairs of this world as you know, from the perspective of not being distracted, from the perspective of not, you know, being laxed, which is all true. But I think it's much more for us to understand how civilians are different from military people, how soldiers are different in many respects from military people. And that's the angle I want to come today. Now, we have a lot of things to do today, as usual. And as I will say, you know, many times I will tell you that a message is usually two in one that I've tried to compress into one. This one is actually about four in one. So you will bear with me. I will try to make it within the time we do. But in all honesty, I would count on you to write down and I will count on you to listen to the message again so that you can do your own study as well. This is a very a topic that is very dear to my heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. We will start from there. This is what Paul said specifically. Thank you, everybody. Let's read. Let's go straight to verse 4. Verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to read it together. Chapter 2, verse 4. It's part of our reading. We're reading chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. I just need verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Okay, I'll read it. You read it after me. Everybody, please read with me. Let's go. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Let's go again. Thank you. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The first thing there is that the person who is engaged in warfare is the soldier. The soldier. He is engaged in warfare. We have read that from verse, 13, uh, verse 3, where it talked about that person being somebody who can endure. Then secondly, 
He said, they don't entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. They don't entangle themselves with civilian affairs. NIV actually says civilian affairs. The affairs of this life. They don't get involved with frivolities. They are disciplined. They have a sense of duty all the time, 24-7. Unlike civilians who have a particular time that they do things and choose to do things the way they want, in many cases, soldiers are controlled. They cannot entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. That is the second part. Then the third thing that is important there is they do that because they have to please him who enlisted them as a soldier. Every soldier thinks they are government, government, government. Governing authorities every time. So every one of us must see ourselves like these. We must continue to see ourselves like people who are engaged in a warfare and also are, in, are not entangling ourselves with the civilian affairs and are always seeking to please him who enlisted us as a soldier. You see, a soldier is somebody who serves in the armed services of a country. Anybody who serves in the armed forces of a country, we regard them as soldiers. A nation or a kingdom like ours has soldiers. Civilians are basically everybody else. Everybody who serves in other ways, but not in the armed services. They don't carry arms. Now, we need to compare a few things. Soldiers are more autocratic in nature. And this will probably help us to see why we need to look at why Paul was saying that if you are in this kind of a lifestyle as a soldier, you cannot engage with civilian affairs. Thank you for that verse. You can take it down now. And so we all need to see soldiers are autocratic in nature, much more autocratic. And civilians are much more democratic. Civilians tend to uh, believe in a principle where everybody suggests something and then whoever has the majority carries the vote, as they say. And it is fine. But you see, there, there is no democracy in, in the military. Military people have a line of command from the top to the bottom. And that's how God works. God works by a theocracy. Theocracy. God works by instructions. And ever since the Old Testament, you will see God used to instruct people directly right from the Garden of Eden. He told them what to do and what not to do. That is God. That is his sovereignty. And then later on, he spoke through prophets. Then later on, when they demanded for a king and they said they wanted a king, he agreed to it, but at the same time, he kept on expecting those kings to do his will. And any king that did not do his will, he got rid of. You have all those in the Old Testament that you can see. So the idea of autocracy in military is very, very synonymous with God. Not because he's a wicked God, but because he understands the interest of the people he created. This is the same way the military functions. They command troops and do and expect that troops and the people that serve in these military assignments are given assignments to do based on facts and things and theories that they have proved will help them to achieve it. Soldiers are very regimented in lifestyle. We're going to look at that very shortly. Civilians are more flexible. Soldiers are trained to develop a specific skill set. We civilians choose what we want to become. Some of us choose to become footballers. Some of us choose to become architects. Some of us choose to become doctors. Some of us choose to become, uh, you know, mechanical engineers and teachers and so on and so forth. We choose to become what we want to become. 
some by interest, some by just way of, you know, just finding that that is what you could do. And then you chose it, and then you did it. And that's all fine. You choose to be a nurse. That's fine. But you see, in the military, everybody is, is assigned tasks that are in line with the aptitudes they demonstrate. So when people are recruited, they are, they are called simply recruits. Those who are brought in are called recruits. You are just recruited. You are like a blank field. Then they start to test you and look at where your aptitudes are. So when you demonstrate skill in shooting and you can show marksmanship and you are very accurate, they make you one of the strategic marksmen. Those ones that they rely on in the face of battle to pick out enemy targets with one shot. They start to train you in that way because you have demonstrated that aptitude. If you are good with engineering, you can quickly think about how to make a bridge somewhere and using logs of wood and just doing some quick calculations because you are wired up that way. They will train you the more to be better as a civil, military civil engineer who will be doing such things. And if you are good with repairing equipment and so on and so forth. So soldiers are not just trained like civilians. They are trained based on their strengths and their giftings and their abilities. And this is so much like the way we are in the kingdom of God, which we will soon see. We are, we are released into areas and vocations of ministry based on the giftings that God has put in us as it were. So we need to understand this thing. There is a demand on soldiers by reason of their duties to be protecting the citizenry of a nation and the territories of that nation. We are soldiers for Christ. Somebody say, I'm a soldier for Christ. If we are soldiers of Christ, we must therefore live according to the military rules that obtain for us in this kingdom that we belong. Paul had said to Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Now we have to understand if we are soldiers and soldiers are trained to fight, what are we fighting? What are we fighting? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I'm sure you have heard that many times and you have read it from Paul's narratives, but we are going to read it again. They are against spiritual forces. And we must understand that we are a spiritual army. Even though we look at each other physically and we relate physically, we are a spiritual army. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to verse 13. I'll read Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 to verse 13. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then verse 12. Let's read verse 12 together. For we do not wrestle against, but against one, two, Three, number four, we do not wrestle, stop back in 12, thank you, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What I want us all to understand is that the kingdom of darkness, somebody was leading power tower this morning and they talked about the power of Satan. There is a power of darkness 
There is, just like we have in the kingdom of God, we have Christ ruling in the kingdom of God, we have a kingdom of darkness that is still existing, which will be destroyed ultimately, which is governed by Satan. Satan is the ruler of that kingdom. Under him, he has principalities. Principalities have governing authorities over regions. You will read about them, like in Daniel chapter 10, the the angel spoke to Daniel and called the name of the principality he was dealing with in verse 12. He said, the prince of Persia. They are controlled by Satan. Under those principalities, you have powers. Powers, if I I will use a good system to, to show you what it is like in terms of hierarchy, it will explain it better. But that doesn't mean that is what is happening in that system. In our natural governing system, for example, we have a prince, we have a king in this country, and uh, we have princes. And uh, if we, now that um, Prince William is now the Prince of Wales, he is like the principality. Now, I'm not calling him a principality, but he's like the principality. You can see him like the principality of Wales. There is a king of the United Kingdom who oversees all princes, but he sits under that king as a prince or principality of Wales. Now, it talks about rulers. Let's go back to verse 12. Please, go back to verse 12. Thank you. So we have principalities, then we have powers. Powers are those ones that decree what needs to be done per time, what we will now call our parliaments, where the debates are made for powers to be for powers to be given and for laws, rather, to be given and implemented. They don't enforce it, but they are the ones who decree and decide which area they are going to punish some more. This is in the darkness world now. Which areas they they want to oppress some more, where they want to cause chaos and cause flooding to happen, fire, wildfire, all these things that you see. They happen at the realm of powers over those regions. All the Satan wants is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is the agenda of their master. He passes it down to the principalities of those regions. And those ones are only strategizing, taking advantage of any opportunity whatsoever to let the powers continue to look at what can be done. And so the powers decree those things. Then it talks about us wrestling against also those rulers of darkness. The rulers of darkness are like the judges. The one who now look at individual cases and make decrees and try to pronounce people to prison and try to make life difficult for people and so on and so forth. Now, I am just using the governmental structure to try to explain how these hierarchies are. And then the last one are called the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those ones are the ones that are directly assigned to people to just continue to torment and make life very difficult for them on a one-to-one basis. All orchestrating under the, all orchestrated under the influence of Satan, their master. So when Paul said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against all these kind of principalities, all these kind of powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, we must understand that this is why 
we as a body of Christ must have an understanding of the world we're in. So that when we see the operation, when we pray, in this, in this church we pray over regions and we pray over our city every week and sections of the city and so on. When we are praying, we should have at the back of our mind that there are these hierarchical setups of Satan that are let loose to continue to torment the people, confuse the people, make it difficult for people spiritually, make it difficult for people to follow God, and even difficult for people physically. They are the ones that make the economic pressures cause people to do things that are unthinkable. Somebody showed me a video from a country, uh, uh, from the country of Nigeria yesterday. I don't know how old the video is, but I felt like weeping. And human beings went to a graveyard and dug up all the graves. I mean a massive graveyard. Literally dug up all the graves and stole away the dead bodies. And I asked the person who sent it to me, I said, but why? My friend wrote back to me, it's a pure evil and wickedness. He said they must have been promised something of ritualistic intent. And that is the world we live in today orchestrating so much wickedness in the heart of people, things that you could not think of. I mean, this, you, this were unheard of just a few years ago. So we have a lot of evil that continues to manipulate different areas. And Christians must understand that this position we are taking to just show that we don't care or we don't want to know is not changing anything. Satan will continue to be Satan. He will continue to afflict and inflict until Christians rise up like the soldiers we are, to confront him in this battle that Paul said we are engaged in. Hallelujah. It's not that he has more power over us, but he does have power. We belong, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, please put that up. The Bible says that he, God has rescued us from the dominion of this darkness and has translated us, thank you, into the kingdom of the son of his love. So we are no longer under his influence, but we must understand that we have a duty to continue to nullify the effects of his influence. This is why Christianity must be seen differently. This Christianity of give me, I give me, I pray for bread and butter, I buy Bentley, I buy Benz, is a nonsense gospel. It has not come from God. It is the gospel of salvation that we have been redeemed into that we must all be embracing and be challenging the powers of darkness as those that he has now reconciled to himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 17. Read it, we'll put it up to verse 22 and then you will see that you have not just become a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 17 to 22. You have not just become a new creation in Christ. You have been given a ministry. You have been given a ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 17 to verse 21. Thank you. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what most Christians do. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. Oh, I'm a brand new man. All things have passed away. I'm born again. Are you born again? More than I come. <laughs> That's what I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. If you can sing that song, you are as old as me. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but the truth is, that's all we used to do. But that's not the end. Let's go to verse 20. 
verse, verse 18, everybody. Verse 18. Now, next verse, verse 18. Everybody, let's read together. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation is not just about talking to people to be born again. That is what we have, re- we have reduced it to. It is first about confronting those powers that don't want people to be born again. Those powers that don't want people to have a good life. Those powers that just look at, you will just see a whole nation at times for no reason. One, one dam will just break. Some evil will just happen. And then you just see 500 people dead in one night. Evil. Evil things. These are things that are completely showing that there are forces of darkness that want to continue to consume lives. The ministry of reconciliation he has called us in to place a demand on us to recognize who we are and to act accordingly. Let's go to verse 19. Verse 19. Verse 19. Keep reading with me. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That is another thing we miss out. We as Christians are not permitted to be imputing people's trespasses to them. We have become a generation that labels people, sit on our high horses and call people any name because they don't look like us, they don't speak like us, they don't believe like us, or they don't marry like us. God did not send us to condemn anybody. Whatever they believe, whatever they don't believe, whatever, as long as he's a human being, got two eyes like you, Two ears like you, one tongue like you, respect them and love them. That is what you are commanded to do. Not imputing their trespasses to them. God did not impute it to them. You have no right, I have no right to impute anybody's trespasses to them. But what has he given to us? The word of what? Reconciliation. The word of love. The love of God for the people. The love of God for mankind. That is all we have. I was climbing the steps last night when I was meditating on this, climbing the steps to go upstairs. And then I remembered those people that spoke to Jesus Christ when they said if Jesus had known what manner of woman this, this woman is, he would not even allow her to have touched. And I see that that is the attitude of Christians today to many people who are yet to be saved. We must not be like that. We must not be self-righteous people. Please put it back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 now. We must not be like people like that. Let's be the people, the Bible says that, let's go now, that is that in Christ, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, everybody, let's read verse 20 together. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though we were pleading, God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Somebody say, God is pleading through me. Say, I'm an ambassador for Christ. You see, the difference between an ambassador and a soldier is very little. It's just that ambassadors don't go to physical war and carry guns. They are also under strict instructions. They are also under serious autocratic principles. No ambassador of any country says anything without hearing from his president. If you see anyone that does that, that is the last day he will talk. They will just recall him. 
Something happens now in this country and it has, it has something to do with Haiti or it has something to do with India and it has something to do with some diplomatic relation and they go straight to the ambassador of India or Haiti or Nigeria or South Africa, whichever country is relevant and they go to him with a microphone. If his president has not or her president has not given instructions on what to say, the man will say, I have nothing to say yet until I hear from my country, from my government. Because he has no opinion of himself. He has no opinion. He's not allowed to have an opinion. He is only allowed to carry the opinion of the government. And the day he refuses to carry that opinion is the last day he will do that job. We are ambassadors for Christ. I don't know who told us because we have the same Holy Spirit that he gave to us that we now have an opinion outside him. Mary said to the people in John chapter 2, whatever he says to you to do, just do. Just do. Ambassadors for Christ and soldiers for Christ must understand that we are people under such due diligence to serve. Now, I will need to take some time to explain some things here about two aspects of military life. If you leave me, we can be here for the next six hours. I'm telling you the truth. I have studied these things for so long, not because I've ever been in any military service, but because I've been fascinated by the decorum. And of course, military is military. They have their own side of things. But the way they do things, I study aviation a lot, as some of you would know, and I study the military a lot. Those two aspects, I find that Aviation for, for their logistics and their perfection, I don't think there's any industry in this world that is so, so properly set up like the aviation industry. Amazing stuff. How do you connect flights and do all those things they do? 3,000 flights at times in the air, and they do those things they do. That's one side. But you see, the military, I find that there are aspects of their lives that when Paul was talking here to Timothy, I believe he had in mind to say, if you can understand this about the military, you will trivialize more of the influence of the civilian affairs that may want to stop you. And you will be much more military-like in your approach. The first thing is that we must live regimented lives. We must live regimented lives. This means that our lives must be organized according to very strict systems or patterns approved by God. Unlike civilians, our life disciplines and dispositions are strictly controlled by our governing authority. We must all understand that Christ is our governing authority. I have told you that the Bible says he has rescued us into his kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and verse 7 are verses we read a lot at Christmas, but I would like us to look at them again today. To be reminded of Christ being our governing authority. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I'm reading Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And the government, and the government, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now everybody, let's read verse 7 together. Everybody, one, two, go. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David 
and over his kingdom. Now listen and read at the same time. Go to order it, number one. Two, to establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What is that time? The time of his manifestation. When he was born, the Bible says a child was born. When, go back to verse 6, when he was given on the cross, the Bible says a son was given. The son given is the one that became the king over our kingdom. And the Bible says, and then the government was placed upon him. That was what he did at the cross. He received the government and it was placed upon him. The government stolen by the devil from Adam in the Garden of Eden was now placed upon him. Now he takes authority back. He takes full authority back and Satan becomes subservient to him. That is why Paul said to the Philippians, wherefore God has highly exalted him and now gave him a name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is what? Lord of all. Hallelujah. And then the different names. We talk about his names a lot, especially at Christmas, so I wouldn't talk too much about that now. But go back to verse 7. He said, now that government that started right from when he rose again, verse 7, verse 7, that government that started, the Bible says, of the increase of that government on peace, there will be no end. That government is an eternal government. We are living on the earthly phase of it now as people who have been translated into that kingdom. On his appearing, when he comes for us, the Bible says that we shall be raptured with him. We shall be like him. The dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him. And together we will be with him and then we will reign again in time for 1,000 years with him. And after that, it will be a permanent reign forever. So what the prophet was seeing here is that there is going to be an increase of that government. It started with him, only him, dying and rising again. Then the apostles that he got as those people who started the church with him. And then the growth that we have been seeing today. And the increase of that government will continue to be. Every one of us dragged in and brought in to be soldiers for him. The Bible says of the increase of that his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. So every one of us must understand that we are strictly under the rulership of Christ. This should make you see your Christianity differently. This should make you understand that you don't just belong to a faith or you don't just attend a church. You don't just belong to a body called Christians. You are a part of the government of Jesus Christ. I say you are a part of the government of Jesus Christ. And in that government, he gives every one of us ministries as he wills. Remember what I said about the military? That they will look at you and look at your aptitude and enable you to become a professional in that area. There are some people who are military cooks. I have met a few and they cook very, very well. Better than many chefs in many restaurants. And that is their work. When people are fighting at war and shooting, they are cooking, cooking. So by the time they all withdraw to the areas, those guys give them nutritious food. That is their job. They don't know how to fire one gun, but they can cook any kind of food, <laughs> especially in the middle of a battle. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's their gift. That's their calling. Not everybody can do it. 
That's why the military is such a very, very specialized unit. They, you can specialize in almost anything. Anything. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 10. I want us to read and remind ourselves what Christ has done for us in giving us the different gifts and ministries that we are to serve in the body of Christ. We'll read verse 10. Go to verse, we'll read it to verse 12. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 10 to verse 12. Thank you. Let's go now. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Talking about Jesus Christ. Now, everybody, let's read verse 11 together. And verse 11, verse 11, thank you. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12. Why does he give all these things? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, five, what we call fivefold ministries are listed there. But if you read Romans 12, you will see that there are so many. There is also the gifts, ministry gift of administration. There is also the ministry gift of benevolence. There was a time, I think it was 2021, we did a series on all the ministry gifts in this church. Again, something you can go and look for and just see how we went through, right from the pastors, the, the fivefold, plus all the other ones that are usually not mentioned. And uh, everybody is gifted. You have a gift. I have a gift. What God expects from every one of us is that we are to recognize that we, we are not just people that exist in the body of Christ. We are people who have a functional duty. And we have a responsibility to use our gifts. I don't know what I will be doing if I'm not doing what I'm doing right now. I know I can never be fulfilled. I'm not cursing myself. But I know that there is no way and by the grace of God, I have many things I do outside this on a Sunday. Many, many things. As a matter of fact, those of you that have heard my story many times, the first time God told me about a church plant in November 2012, I said to him, Lord, you have given me enough to do and I'm grateful. And that is the truth. I am very grateful. I enjoy what I do in academia. I enjoy my engineering practice. There's, there's nothing that you can... I, I enjoy it. You know, you go to very difficult terrains at times, some, some very complex things, and people are looking, and then you come there, and you tell them something that they go and implement, and then it causes the structure to stand. It gives you joy, if you are in my profession, that you have contributed to humanity. I love it. I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing people graduate. I enjoy seeing people get through to PhD. I have produced 26 of them that have become doctors after God helped me to become mine. And I still have some more coming through by the grace of God. So I enjoy everything I do. God is my witness. But I know that if I'm not doing what I'm doing right now, all those things will mean nothing. Because this is the important thing. This is the most important thing. In fact, as, as far as I'm concerned, all those things... They are happening because of this. Hallelujah. So when we don't understand, as Christians, we must locate that one thing that is the most important. When you find it, when you find it that you are to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry with it, your life can never remain the same again. Your dispensation, your disposition as a military person is controlled, as a soldier for Christ, is controlled by your locating of that one thing. So I want to encourage you today, I'll still stress on this, but I want to encourage you today, recognize that you have a ministry, you have a calling. 
But the third thing you need to also understand as being regimental, first thing under being regimental is that Christ is the head of our kingdom. Number two, he has given all of us a ministry. We have just seen that now so that we can all be using it to equip the saints for the body of the body and edifying the body of Christ. It's a two-way thing. As I'm giving you mine, you are giving you of yours, you are giving me of yours and I am being edified. As I'm giving you mine, you are you are being edified. As you are giving me yours, I am being edified. Just a few moments ago, we had some brethren stood up here and they were leading us in worship. That is their gift. And as they were giving it out, we are being edified. So everybody has something to play. And then you see some people that you may never see up here. They have done a lot of things to make it happen. Those ones putting the media together, making it possible for you to see what you are seeing. And the people online to be online where they are and all that. They are ministry gifts, identifying and connecting, making the edification of the body of Christ a possibility. Every one of us must recognize that. But the third thing we should also recognize is that we must have a sense of duty or flexibility. Whatever he says to you to do part-time, in that ministry and in that calling, just do it. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to verse 20. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to verse 20. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to verse 20. The Bible says, when Jesus saw a great multitude about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Thank you. Let's read verse 19 and 20 together. Everybody. Verse 19 and verse 20. Everybody go now. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. (laughs) This man is a very, very bold man. He said, I will follow you wherever you go. Now Jesus' response is something that all of us must learn from and must understand should govern our way of serving. Let's go together. Verse 20. Verse 20. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You must be ready to be a person that moves as God says you should move. Act as God says you should act. Many times I've been in a service, all my life I've been in services, different churches, different rules, and uh, the Holy Spirit will just give me some clear instructions. Say, from now, this is what you need to do. I joined the church. I was a young man, 23 years old, thereabouts. I joined the church. The, I just walked into a one church not too far from where I started to live in the new city I was working then. This was back in Nigeria in the early 90s. And uh, first Sunday I went there, it was okay, lovely church. Vibrant pastor. The pastor now lives in London, as a matter of fact. Vibrant man, he was just preaching. And I said, this is a good place. I'll be coming here, you know, just serving God however. And then the following Sunday, I saw that there was no, there were, the instruments were there, and, you know, the, 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 the singers were just not too. The man was looking for people who would basically be leading the worship. He was waiting for the worship leader, and he hasn't come. God forgive worship leaders and musicians. Amen. He hasn't come. The man was under a lot of pressure. So we managed to finish that service. But before the end of the service, the Holy Spirit said to me, say, go and tell that man that you are going to be leading worship from next week, if he allows it. God is my witness. I had never led worship. I don't even know what my voice sounds like. 
I have done a lot of drama. I've done every other thing, but never sang in a choir, not done anything about singing before, but it was clear instruction to me. When I went to the church on the, during the week, we had midweek service, then I met him and I said to him, and he just shook my hand. He said, brother, God bless you. Welcome. God must have brought you for this purpose. And that is how <laughs> I joined the worship team and became a worship leader in that church. Before I knew what was happening, God brought two young men, fresh from Bible school. They joined me. And then before I knew what was happening, we were about 10 in the group. And the praise and worship of that, because the man has the word of God a lot. So, and the praise and worship of that church now went to the next level. The church was getting packed every Sunday, every Sunday. Just because God said one little word that little me followed and obeyed to the glory of his name. One of those men is the person that ministered in part of our 2020 anniversary. My friend that I told you waited for 25 years before he had his child. So you would know. The day he comes here, he will tell you more of this story. This is how God helped us to start. I can tell you so many things about that group, but I will not waste your time today. Some miraculous things that now happen. Virtually everybody in that group today is a pastor. If you come to me, when you have time, I will give you their Facebook pages. I'll give you their names. You'll go and see the churches they pastor today to the glory of God. Everybody that is in that group, everybody that I can remember there, they're all pastors today across the world. There is something God wants to do in your life and through your life. Never resist him. If God said to me, this is the last Sunday you will preach here, from tomorrow you are going to Nicaragua, God sees my heart. The first person that will hear it from me is my wife, and I will tell her, let us just start to prepare. I don't waste time one bit because I realize that with God, it is like a military service. Hallelujah. It's like a military service. If you want to stay in your comfort zone, you can't be a Christian soldier. If you are not ready to be displaced from your comfort zone, you cannot be a proper Christian soldier. This idea of comfort zone is overrated. There is no comfort zone outside obedience to Christ. The devil will tell you that there is a comfort zone you have. Your only comfort zone is to be obedient to Christ. You think I don't have work to be doing and I want to be here every week. I've preached here almost 500 times since this church started. 500, week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out. It, it's not a convenient thing in all physical realities. It's not a convenient thing. But the only comfort I have is because it is in the place of obedience to the one who called. And that is how a Christian soldier must live. If you want to find comfort and you want to find God meeting your needs in different ways, this is how you must be ready to move as God wants you to move. Act as he wants you to act. Contribute as he wants you to contribute. So the first thing is that we must live regimented lives. Number two, we must live and serve tactically. We must live and serve him tactically. This means that as earthly soldiers live by intelligence and what they call the element of surprise, we must also, they use military intelligence and the military element of surprise, we must also be people who walk with God by being discerning. We must be discerning. This is, this is the equivalence of military intelligence. We must be discerning. There are times that we will be required to do things. If we are not discerning, our previous experience may stop us. Let me give you a very simple example. 
you, you, you loan some money to a brother sometime and then, or a sister, and then they, 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 they didn't pay back as they promised they will. Now, if care is not taken, the next one that comes, what will you remember? The one that did not pay back. <laughs> it takes discernment for you to know how to say to that one, the one that is coming, that I will still do this for you, and so on. Of course, if the Holy Spirit constrains you, it does so. But what I'm trying to say is as a military, as a soldier, you must know how to walk by intelligence, by discernment. And then when we talk about the element of surprise, the military use that term to connote many things. When they say element of surprise, it means that they are going to attack a group of people. They are going to go very slowly. They are going to go at a time they don't expect. They are going to respond in a way that brings surprise to the enemy. This is one of the most impactful ways of winning in strategic military warfare, the element of surprise. You shock the enemy. This is why you hear operations like shock and awe and those kind of operations that they do to make it impossible for the, the one they are trying to attack to predict them and how they are going to do it. We as Christians must follow what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 in doing this. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and verse 9. Peter showed us this very same thing I'm talking about as far as serving in the military. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Let's read it together. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The key words I want you to hold there, be sober, be vigilant. Then number 9, verse 9 says what? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by a brotherhood in the world. Be steadfast because you know the same is happening to others, but the key word about the element of surprise is resist him. Don't let the devil ever be able to predict you. And one of the things that you can do to always confuse the devil is to be a person that walks by the wisdom of God. When you walk by the wisdom of God, the Bible says that you will always be above all. There is a way the wisdom of this earth is. It is devilish. It is sensual. It has a way of responding directly. It, it, it responds to evil with evil. But when you respond to evil with good, you confuse the enemy. When you love the enemy, you confuse the enemy. Because the enemy doesn't expect to be loved. The enemy is expecting some hostility. Hallelujah. When you pray in the spirit, you confuse the enemy. The Bible says he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks, advise himself. He said, but how be it? He speaks mysteries. When you speak in mysteries like that, you confuse the enemy. Every one of us Christians must under, Christian soldiers must understand that we need to continue to arm ourselves with this. So we pray in understanding. We pray in the spirit. We, we respond in the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes control of your mindset Causing the word of God to be your response always makes it impossible for the enemy to shock you. And I want us to learn some things from a military operation that I just want to quickly go through. I have studied many military operations like I've said to you before because I'm fascinated by them. Not because of anything, but because there's a lot to learn from how these things are planned out especially if we are going to be strategic as Christians. In my own estimate, one of the most daring military operations 
in modern history happened in the year 1976. It's a long time now, almost 50 years ago. I set it in that context because I called it, I called the year so that you can think very well. Some of you have not been born then, I know that. But the reality is that in 1976, there were no mobile phones, there were very few landlines, there was no internet as it is today. The military, some military NASA people had a bit of internet, but it wasn't like it's common today. No, you can't find it. Everything was analog. Even when you went to airports at that time, I remember flying in 1978 as a very young child. Those days, they were analog change to the flight times. In fact, I still met a few airports that were virtually using chocks to, 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 to write flight arrival times and so on. 1976 was a long time ago. The world has changed now. We have drones, we have computers, we have the internet, we can, we can do a lot of things. We've got satellites. So I have to say all that because I don't want you to trivialize what these men did without all these gadgets we now have as far back as 1976. The Israeli Special Defense Forces had to go to a place called Entebbe. This is the capital of the country, Uganda, to rescue about 85 of their citizens plus another 15 people who were non-Israelis, who were hijacked on their way from Athens through Paris that were supposed to be going to Tel Aviv in Israel. And um, these people were going to kill all the hostages if they, their demands were not met. You know how how hijackers do. They place demands to release some terrorists that were, that were in prisons in Israel and some other countries. This was 1976. A lot had happened in their history. They had a war in 1967. There was, there was a brawl in 1972 in Munich, Germany. So a lot of the terrorists had been captured by these Israeli forces and have been locked up in various countries. So these people hijacked that plane, about 250-something people on board, about 85 of them purely Israelis. They released everybody else and left only these 85 plus crew members to be about 100. Now, they undertook some tactical steps. I'll be telling you what those steps are and how we as Christians must understand why we need to be tactical and how we succeed. The long and short of the story is that they went in, did a lot of maneuvers flew at low levels, did a lot of things that were unthinkable as far as 1976 were concerned. To avoid being detected by radar in Egypt and Saudi, they went at very low levels for a long time and were able to fly like that for over 2,000 miles. Very, very dangerous things to do in the desert. They did it, went there, and they were successful. But these were the things I'd like us to learn from their story. First thing is that they carried out some spade work or intelligence work before they started, and they named it Operation Thunderbolt. They first went to the area, looked at the airport, got a model of the airport. They had some contacts in the neighboring country of Kenya, and those ones went in and did a lot of reconnaissance, also got Kenyan government to allow them to refuel if they flew into Uganda and they were to now fly back. Their planes could not do the two trips with one full tank. So they secretly got that depot in Kenya, to, uh, in the Kenyan airports, to be able to refuel. And this paid work gives me an insight as to why many times as Christians, we do not 
succeed in our military pursuits against the enemy, in our, in our military uh, assault against the enemy as Christians, in our spiritual warfare, we do not take enough time to learn about the enemy from the spirit. We do not take enough time to understand what is happening in the spirit. I am not talking about asking demons their name. You've seen that kind of nonsense? Hey, what is your name? We are Lasabeta. Okay, Lasabeta, come out now. No, we are no more Lasabeta. We are now Jingijaga. Okay, Jingijaga. <laughs> no, 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 no. Those are the nonsense we have formed over time. I'm talking about getting spiritual insight such that when somebody is talking in your workplace and what they are talking, you know clearly it's just the devil talking through them and then you are just responding at the level of men, you miss the point. You go back into your, into your spiritual closet and when you pray, God shows you what is happening. God shows you how those things are and you take care of them in the spirit before you manifest in the physical. This is the tactics that we must now engage. For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Psalm 32 verse 8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. If you are a Christian here and you are finding that there are certain things that are becoming an obstacle to you and you've been wondering for long, you know clearly that there is some demonic activity. Like Daniel prayed and for 21 days he just could not get anything. You must know how to go back to God to show you and teach you the way to go. You must know how to let him guide you. You must know how to let you have insight into the things that you need. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. It is his promise that he will teach you. It is his promise that he will guide you. All he is asking for you to do is to go and inquire of him. And I pray that God will continue to expose to us the ways of darkness that is hovering around our lives at every time in the mighty name of Jesus. There are times that you will want to speak something and the Holy Spirit will constrain you and tell you not to say a word. You have to be that sensitive in your tactics against the enemy in these battles. So they went and after doing all that spade work, they were able to go. They went with four aircraft. Two were fighting C-130 planes and another two were big jetliners, 707s. One of them was only for medical equipment. The other one was for communications. All their radio equipment was in that one, and that one was never brought to the ground. But the three other planes landed at the same time. And the point I'd like us to realize from this is that every member of the team and every tool, that every vehicle, everything they went for was accounted for. Which brings me back to the point to tell you that everyone counts. Somebody say with me, everyone counts. In this warfare that we have as Christians, we must keep realizing that we all matter. One of the biggest problems we have had over time in the body of Christ is that we do not see, we trivialize the importance of every one person. And when you look at scriptures, you will see that numbers are important. We were told that 3,000 people got saved the first day that Paul preached, that Peter preached after the Pentecost. 
we were told that Gideon went to battle with an army of 300 people out of 32,000 that first came. We were told that David had 400 mighty men. When they became 600, there was documentation that they have become 600. Numbers matter to God. Everyone. It doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter how big the size is. The important thing is that everyone who is involved in that warfare has a strategic role to play. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 15 and verse 16. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. The Bible says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16. Everybody, let's read verse 16 together. Let's go now. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which I want you to read it again. According to the effective working by which read it again. According to the effective working by which every part does its share then causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every one of us must understand this. That God did not save us to just become a number. He saved us so that we become part of the joint, part of the body, and every one part doing its share. The question I want to ask everyone under the sound of my voice today is what is your share today? How are you doing it today? You see, many of us are asking for the body to grow. It says, when every part does its share, it causes the growth of the body. Many of us are saying, I don't know why that place, that, that thing is not growing. I don't know why this is not growing. Are you doing your share? <laughs> if you do your share, I do my share. They do their share. That one does their share. Everybody does their share. The Bible says it causes the growth of the body. Every one of us must understand that we have many shares to do. We have shares to do in terms of how we pray together. We have shares to do in terms of how we use our gifts together. We have shares to do in terms of how we use our resources together. Every part doing its share. Every part doing its share. It causes the growth of the body. This is one of the things that gave these people extensive victory. Everyone that they took to that battle was a specialist. As, like I talked about marksmen earlier on. They were sharpshooters because of the accuracy. They had time that they could not spend more than one hour on ground. And um, this, this story I'm giving to you, let's help the children. This story I'm giving to you is, you can watch it. I can recommend this film to you very safely. I've watched it many, many times. It's not a bad film at all. Raid on Entebbe, if you've never watched it before. I've watched it probably maybe 100 times. <laughs> it has been, it was released a year after the raid. But I, I started to watch it in the 80s when I first saw it for the first time. Fantastic account. And every other thing I've seen in documentary and books I've read shows that the film is almost exactly accurate. The film can never be accurate because they must embellish it a little to make it a, a better story for viewing. But the reality is that it, everything I'm saying here, you can see in that film very easily. 
And these people were sharpshooters. They shot at and they shot at the target only once. Only once. And they got it down. And every one of us must understand that this is how we are in the body of Christ. God has put in us specially skill sets that everyone that is called into the body of Christ, into a local assembly like this, you are expected to utilize that skill set to the glory of God to cause the growth of the body. And I pray that God will be helping us as we release ourselves the more in Jesus' name. The final point I'd like to make is that they had a clear line of command. One of the things that I saw is that they had a general, they had a colonel, and they had a captain among the troops. The general was in overall tactical command, but the, cap, the colonel was the one who was controlling the ground troops, and the captain was assisting him. But a time came, the, cap, the colonel was shot, and he actually died. He was the only person in their side that died, sadly. This is the man that was, that is famous, that was famously named Captain Yoni Netanyahu, who is the elder brother of Benjamin Netanyahu that most of you have known as Israeli Prime Minister for many, many years. I think he became Prime Minister in the 80s, then became uh, in 2000s, and the 80s, then he became Prime Minister, 90s, then became Prime Minister again in the 2000s and so on. Benjamin Netanyahu's brother, there were only two brothers uh, born by their father who was a lecturer in Cornell University in the U.S., but Captain Yoni was, was the only person that was shot. Colonel, Neten, Colonel Yoni Netanyahu was the only person that was shot. And this man, as soon as he was shot, the captain took over. Very, very smooth process, no argument, no confusion, because the line of command is clear. And for us as Christians, we must realize that we must be orderly. We read Joel chapter 2 a lot. And verse 7 to verse 8, it says, We should run like mighty men. We climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in a formation. We do not break ranks. We have respect and value for constituted authority. We understand that God is our leader. Jesus Christ is our king and our commander. We recognize that in the institutions of men that he puts us into, that there are hierarchies and that we, as a body of Christ, must continue to respect and obey leadership under Christ. The Bible says they do not push one another. Joel chapter 2, I'm reading verse 7 to verse 8. Verse 8 says they do not push one another. Everyone marches on in his own column. They launch between weapons. They are not cut down. I say this and I emphasize this to us today. Thank you. I say this and I emphasize this to us today because there is a spirit now in the body of Christ that continues to push for leadership to become irresponsible so that followership will not have regard for leadership. And so even when the leadership is responsible, there is that same spirit that still works and says, just a matter of time, just watch. <laughs> just a matter of time. They go crazy after some time. And so you see a lot of people who have become cynics, like, where, like my wife just said there. They've become cynics. They've become skepticals. They've become skeptics. And we have to understand that God is not going to change because of this. When Joel saw this prophecy in, and was, was talking about the end time army, he was talking about a people who were going to be a church like ours, whereby we are going to be marching together. We are not going to be breaking ranks. The pastor will understand that he's a pastor. The evangelist will understand that he's an evangelist and so on and so forth. 
the administrator will realize that because you have so much administrative skills and you can manage finances very well, does not place you ahead anybody. The pastor will understand that as a privileged under-shepherd, under-Christ, does not make you better than anybody. So you have no right to abuse or manipulate anybody. But yet you have authority of a line of command. Remember that centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, the man that Jesus said he loved his faith so much. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 to 9, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak a word only and my servant will be healed. Matthew chapter 9, 8 verse 9. He said, for I am also, thank you, verse 9 now. He said, for I am also a man under authority, having soldiers where? Under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know what we have in the body of Christ today? The centurion says, go, he doesn't go. It says to another, come, he doesn't come. It says to another, do this. In fact, he does something else. This is what we have in the body of Christ today. And then we are wondering why we are powerless. We are wondering why we are not achieving the things that we ought to achieve. I want us to be a very serious people in this place. By the grace of God, I will continue to do my best to continue to encourage leadership in this place to lead by integrity. But I will also expect and I would also uh, be very welcoming of obedient followership in the things of God that God has called us to do. We cannot achieve a vision as a people if we are not in the line of command of God in our duties. Job chapter 5 verse 12 is the last point there. When they were leaving, they disempowered all the, all, the, all, the, all the small, small aircraft that the Ugandan army had, made sure that they could not fly with those. After they had rescued their people, they blew up all those planes. And what that taught me is that we must continue to intercede to make sure that afflictions do not arise a second time. When we have a victory in a testimony, we should not relax. Please look at Job chapter 5 verse 12. Every time you hear a testimony here or you hear a testimony somewhere, please make sure that you celebrate God by all means, but go into warfare immediately and say that affliction will not arise a second time and we seal the testimony in the blood of Jesus. Job chapter 5 verse 12, it says, He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. Their wicked enterprise is always to continue to see people shamed to continue to see people cry, mourn. I want you all to understand this is why we ask, please join prayer. Let us be praying together. We pray together every day in this church, Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Find at least one day. Just sign in, join. Let's intercede. We do victory prayer night almost every last Friday of the, every, every month. At least this month, we've got it again. We've got it next Friday. Come and pray. Let us intercede and trust God that will continue to frustrate the devices of the crafty. Friends, a civilian lifestyle is very much a freestyle. Thank you for that scripture. It's very much a freestyle. It doesn't place a demand on us. Paul said to Timothy, if you want to survive in this kingdom, you cannot entangle yourself with that kind of a lifestyle. A lifestyle that is self-fulfilling. At best, it's philanthropic in its dispositions. A soldier lives by orders from above. He's focused, alert always, 
always not ignoring the devices of the devil, making sure that he stays on top of things. Luke chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said, let your waist be guarded and your lamps burning all the time. Keep your light burning all the time. Keep your waist guarded all the time. It means maintain integrity, maintain the sanctity of your person. You are a royal priesthood. You are a peculiar person. You have no time to have things to do with frivolities that can cost you your life or cost the life of your fellow brother or your sister. Let your waist be guarded and let your lamps always be burning. Every one soldier recognizes one thing, that they are the responsibilities of their governments. I have never ever been afraid of what I will eat and how God will meet my bills. Since I've become a working adult for over 30 years, God is my witness. I have never thought about it. It never crosses my mind that what will I eat now? How will I pay this now? It doesn't cross my mind. The day God gave me a revelation of the word that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the word of God the Father, I discovered that as long as I'm doing whatever the Father says to be doing, I have nothing to worry about. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. If you are a soldier, if you meet any of the soldiers around, maybe they are, they are on leave and they live around you or something and they come home, if you ask them, they never ever bother themselves about what their salary is and all that because it is always guaranteed and always assured. They just keep going out to dispatch. He said, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of his fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Every one of us must understand that God who says, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things shall be added to us. He's always interested in the things that matter to us. And I pray that God will continue to give you rest of mind. I say he will continue to give you rest of mind in the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to think about your life as a soldier, a Christian soldier from this day. I want you to do things differently, see things differently. We are not Christians because we just become something of a fashion. We have been enlisted into the army of the Lord. And I want to encourage us to serve faithfully in that army. One thing I can tell you with my little experience so far is that it truly pays. It truly pays. God will continue to take over everything that has been a concern to you. I say everything that has been a concern to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet as we thank God for yet another opportunity. To-